0: Peace and wholeness. Today, we are talking about the difference between doulas, midwives, and OBGYNs. Now, for some of you, this is going to be pretty obvious because you are a birth worker or maybe you already have had children before. But I get this question all the time when I introduce myself and I say, yes, I'm a doula people say, oh, so you're like a midwife, right? (laughs) And I'm like, no, not even close. Mm -mm." Like in spirit, yes, (laughs) I'm on that pathway. But I think it's important that we just have this discussion to give some clarity between midwives, doulas, and OBGYNs. So first let's talk about doulas. So a doula is a non-medical birth support person, meaning they do not have a medical license to practice being a doula because no such thing exists. Doulas are there for non-medical support. So this means that a doula is pretty much going to be there through every single contraction. They're going to be supporting you emotionally, physically, mentally, Logistically, all of the things um, outside of medical support. Now, this can sound like like a frilly, fluffy add-on to your birth support team. A lot of people are like, "Eh, well, my boyfriend's going to be there. My partner's going to be there. My husband, my cousin, my mama, my auntie, all these different people. So I don't really need a doula. And the likelihood that those people have the base of knowledge and experience to help you to the same extent as a doula is pretty low. It really is because doulas literally specialize and train and dedicate a lot of time to learning the art of birth and learning the art of birth support. How do you make birth a more comfortable, more calm, smooth experience. So it's definitely not just like for bougie people (laughs) and it's not for just people who consider themselves to be super natural or super crunchy. It's for everyone. Everyone needs support. And literally from the beginning of time, we have always as women supported other women through various stages of life, whether that be going through puberty in your first period or going through having your first baby or going through um, raising a child. Women have always supported women. So it's pretty important. A couple of other things about doulas, we suggest tips and have guidance for a smooth birthing process. And that happens both prenatally and during the actual birth. And I think this is the, the true highlight of a doula is that you get to build a relationship, you build a rapport with them so that when you're standing there in the hospital or in the birth center, or in your living room giving birth, you have a person who you've created this intimate connection with them who knows exactly the vision of the birth that you hold in your mind and they know the different different preferences that you have. And so that can be really helpful, especially if you're choosing to birth in the hospital because- it's really likely that you don't get the OB that you've been working with the past nine months or you don't get the midwife because there was a different midwife on call and maybe your midwife is not on call or at a different birth. So when you consider the fact that 90% of people birth in the hospital and therefore 90% of people who give birth may or may not deliver their baby with their medical provider who they've built a relationship with during their pregnancy, then it makes a lot of sense to bring in a third party being the doula who you absolutely know will be at your birth. Like, unless something crazy happens and they have to send it back up, there is no, like, most doulas work one-on-one. There's no rotation. There's no, like, oh, I'm not on call. No, it's... I've been building a relationship with you and I'm going to be at your birth. And that can be a very stable and grounding and anchoring energy for birthing people, for mamas. (laughs) Doulas can also help you to navigate birth decisions and can take the surprise out of The birthing process and what I mean by that is a lot of times speaking to like first-time mothers who are going through this process of pregnancy and birth there's a lot of like oh I didn't know that and I had no idea and nobody told me and I remember even after having my first baby and getting up on like the second or third day in my belly looking at my belly in the mirror and being like, what is going on right there? Like it's dark now because like the skin was stretched and now it's come back in and it hasn't like recalibrated itself. And I feel all loose and jiggly. Like (laughs) where are my muscles? My boobs were engorged because I was breastfeeding and they were leaking. And I was just like, My body, like, this is not my body. (laughs) I, like, woke up in a different body. And I just remember thinking, like, yo, they could have mentioned this. Like, they could have gave me a little handout or a little, you know, heads up. Like, hey, you know, that first week after you have a baby, you might feel completely like a different person. Like, boobs engorged, leaking, extremely tired. Belly looks totally different than what it looked like before. Um, Vagina going through some things, right? But a lot of times you don't get that heads up. And so a doula can really get you prepared. Like, hey, here's some things to expect. And also here are some things that can help (laughs) with that process. Because I could have easily... Probably felt way better if someone has said, Hey, let's let's do some belly binding, since you're feeling really kind of unstable in that area. And let's put a little cocoa butter on there and talk about how it's normal for your belly to look, you know, like this after birth. And it will continue to change and everyone's different. So don't freak out. And you know, here's some herbs that you can use for your vagina and your vulva, right? That would have been really helpful. But a lot of people are navigating their pregnancy and their birth experiences in the dark. And at this point, they really only have Google to, you know, light the way. But the problem is that the eye will not see what the mind does not know. So if you don't know what to google if you don't know what kind of a book to pick up if you don't know the right questions to ask in the mommy facebook group then you just don't know what you don't know and then it hits you out of nowhere and that's what i love about being a doula is that i can in some ways prevent that you know feeling of what the heck is happening and can give some some support and just that That feeling of like, okay, somebody's holding my hand through this process. Something else to note about doulas is that unlike how OBs like only work in hospitals or, you know, the vast majority only work in hospitals and some midwives only work in the home setting, doulas will go with you wherever you go. So If you decide to go to the hospital, we're going to the hospital. Birth center, cool. Home birth, I'm there. Side of the road in the car, let's do it. We will literally support you wherever you decide to have your baby. Now that said, some doulas um, do have preferences, uh, but I would say the vast majority of us pretty much go wherever mama goes. So if you're wondering... How do you become a doula? I've done a whole episode on this. (laughs) You should definitely check it out. And if you actually are literally trying to become a doula right now, I highly recommend that you go into the sacred sphere, which is the name of my Patreon membership. And I spend all of January uh, doing exclusive and extended podcast episodes about becoming a doula. My experience as well as there are some handouts for beginner doulas, like what to put in your bag, all that stuff. But becoming a doula really means you either teach yourself, you probably have some babies yourself, you read a lot of books, maybe you even have a mentor who's a birth worker, or you go through a training program and you receive a certification. Um, nowadays, one of the most popular places to get certified to be a doula is Dona. And they have a, what I would say is a kind of a brief in-person training. And then I believe they have like an extended portion where you kind of do a home study, like you do homework, read books and things of that nature Um, but there are so many different places to train as a doula and if you are a mama that is trying to figure out is my doula of good quality Um, you can of course ask if she is trained or certified but I would more so ask questions about her experience because at the end of the day like I absolutely hands down loved my doula training I trained with Mama Toto Village in Washington, D.C. But what really has made me a good doula is my experience and just like taking the things that I've learned and applying them and learning along the way. So there are lots of um, blog articles <laughs> that will reference certain numbers and statistics about how doulas help and I'm not really interested in the numbers because those numbers are kind of from a study that are a bit I don't want to say it's old but it's not super new it's not super modern Um, and I'm sure it has changed but generally speaking when a person has a doula uh, based on statistics the likelihood that you will get an epidural a c-section Goes down Generally medical interventions in general Are going to go down if you have a doula um, And that's really powerful For people who are One Wanting to have a natural birth Or two Simply wanting to avoid Unnecessary interventions And again Like doulas are not just for crunchy people Doulas are, doulas are for everybody Because when you enter into the paradigm in which we give birth, this current, you know, this current um, time frame that we're in, this era of giving birth, it's very medicalized. And so, even if you know, like, yeah, I probably do want to get an epidural, and I probably, you know, will opt for being in the hospital. Cool, but that's totally different than saying. I want to have unnecessary medical interventions that could possibly lead to, you know, a negative reaction, ultimately a C-section, a more traumatic birth experience. So that is my little blurb on doulas. Next, let's talk about midwives. So Midwives are considered medical providers and there are certain types of midwives. We're going to touch on kind of the difference between the various types. But although they are licensed to practice medicine, uh, they take a less medical approach. (laughs) So midwives typically, typically are more holistic and they're able to Implement holistic practices either in conjunction with or before an allopathic western medicine type of approach So here are some things that midwives do that doulas don't do, right? This is just a a short list, not a whole entire list So they check heart tones for your baby They will check your blood pressure, dilation. They can administer certain necessary medicines like Pitocin. They can repair tears. So if you have any type of vaginal tearing during birth, they can repair that. And they primarily actually work. (laughs) This is crazy. They primarily work in hospitals. Um, But some midwives will work in birth centers or doing home birth. So let's clarify the different types. A certified nurse midwife, which is commonly referred to as a CNM, typically works in the hospital. So in 2017, um, like 90%, somewhere around 90% of certified nurse midwives who attended births, attended those births. In the hospital. In my last episode, we got into a little bit about medwives. We're not going to talk about that today, but if you want to know about a medwife, M E D, uh, check out the last episode before this one. Now, with the CNM, they also can give well women care, which means if you need any type of like, Reproductive care outside of just having a baby. You can receive that from a CNM Um, and they have obviously hospital privileges, but they can work in birth centers and doing home birth. The next type is called a certified professional midwife. Now, this is a type of midwife that exclusively does home birth. I think sometimes they do birth center, but they do not have hospital privileges so um, these are a lot less popular. I think uh, most people nowadays, I don't know, they, I guess, want to be midwives that have access to hospitals. And, you know, generally I would say that the lifestyle of a CNM is a lot different because they have that structural support of a hospital um, versus a CPM. You're looking at really owning your own business and running, you know, your own Midwifery practice on your own, which is a lot of weight to carry. Um, but it also comes with being able to practice more holistically. All the time I see midwives who work in hospitals, and I don't really think what they're doing is midwifery. I don't think it's really even fair to confuse people with the title of midwife because not to say that these that these people working in hospitals aren't midwives i'm not saying that but i am saying i think it's confusing to the public when 90% you know of of midwives are working in the hospital and we're kind of in real time redefining the de- definition of midwifery to the point where you know soon people will really think it's it really is normal to call it midwifery I don't know like I'm trying to articulate this in a way that's not offensive but I just personally think that when you have a midwife who can't utilize holistic remedies herbs tinctures things like homeopathy things of that nature it's like well that's a big part of midwifery kind of isn't it and it's a big part of midwifery is like being hands off and not like disturbing the birthing person. And then when you insert that idea, that archetype into the hospital, it totally redefines what a midwife really is. A CPM, on the other hand, primarily will only works um, doing home birth or maybe a birth center. And They, because they don't work in a hospital, have a lot more wiggle room when it comes to implementing holistic practices. Um, At a home birth, you may see a midwife administer a tincture, homeopathy blend, teas, um, using different kind of positional techniques. So there's more of a holistic approach, I would say, with the CPM, but it's good to remember. And I know this is kind of confusing to synthesize all of this, but CNMs can work in birth centers and home birth. So just the nature of them being a CNM doesn't make them automatically more medicalized. But if they are working in a hospital, then you would, I think it's safe to assume, consider that. Because of their environment, they do have to be operating in a slightly more medical way. So as of 2019, CPMs are legal in 35 states. So this means that like all across the board in the United States, CPMs aren't legal. And you have some midwives who fall in the category of underground Meaning they have probably gone through the midwifery school. They've probably gone through all of the testing and, you know, passed all of the credentials really. But because it's not legal in their particular state, they can't get a medical license to practice midwifery. So they have the credentials and the ability to be a midwife, but not the stamp of approval from the government essentially and so this category of midwives would be called underground midwives and they are still a legitimate option if you are in one of those states where there's no birth centers near you all you have is a hospital and then you can't get access to a legal midwife Um, some people do utilize underground midwives and I think that (laughs) That is the logical next step if you want a midwife, but you know, all you have access to is a hospital. Okay. I need a break to sip my smoothie. So there's one last uh, category to talk about when it comes to midwives and that is called The traditional midwife. Now this type of midwife does not have a medical license and she probably has not been through any type of formal midwifery accredited school um, to become a midwife. She's probably trained under um, and had a mentor and that's how she learned and attended many births and maybe assisted, read books, self-taught, Um, And this type of midwife is what I would call the original midwife. This is what we had before uh, obstetrics and gynecology came and monopolized on birth and took over and forced us to uh, become nurses. And that's one thing I want to also note about a certified nurse midwife is that they do have to go to nursing school first before they become a midwife. And that is kind of a catch-22 because to attend nursing school first essentially lays down a groundwork of Western allopathic medicine. And then on the other hand, a CPM, a certified professional midwife, they pretty much directly enter into midwifery school. Like there are prerequisites that they have to have, um, but it's not... That they have to go through the entire like nursing program the way that a CNM would. So <laughs> do with that what you will. Um, t- people who typically utilize traditional midwives are people who really want to stay far away from the medical system, far away, um, even from you know midwives who still have to answer to the state. Um, these women are typically people who would probably free birth, um, have an unassisted birth with nobody there, but maybe they came across a traditional midwife and they feel comfortable and led to have them present at their birth. Um, but also probably this falls in the category of people who have, you know, a deeply spiritual um, understanding of their body and their birth experience. And so they want a person who is also deeply spiritual in, in regards to birth. So, you know, I don't think there's any right choice. I think there's only aligning with the provider that makes sense for you. So just to recap, midwives can work in hospitals or birth centers or at home. They traditionally have a less medical approach, but depending on the person, you may find midwives that still do operate in a very medical type of way. Um, They typically try to blend the holistic and the Western approach. And for most CPMs, mm, I'm looking at my notes and I'm staring at CPM. Or is it staring at me? Mm. And for most, (laughs) oh god for most midwives um they do have to answer to the state which can cause a conflict of interest when it comes to them serving you in their full midwifery capacity and i just i'll give us brief example of this okay so say that You are 39 weeks, you're at home, your water breaks and there's no sign of contractions. Your water is broken, but you're not contracting, which is something that, you know, it's, it happens. It's not abnormal. It happens all the time. And so you call your CNM or your, let's, let's go with CPM. You call your CPM. And, you know, you tell them my water is broken. They say, okay. And what about contractions? And you say, okay, I'm not having any contractions. And so, oh, okay. All of a sudden this becomes a little bit of a sticky situation because there is a rule for CPMs that you pretty much can't have a person whose water is broken past a certain time frame at home. At some point, you do have to transfer in. Uh, even if, you know, there aren't any signs of an issue, there's no fever, there's no uh, sign of infection. Mom looks fine, baby sounds fine. Even if everything looks good, there's still a time frame in which, okay, you, you're supposed to go into the hospital now. And so as a midwife, and this is kind of the conundrum of midwifery is that, You have to make the call to say, okay, we're going into the hospital, even though we don't need medical care, like even though like nothing is happening, there's no emergency. We still have to go in because that's what the rule says. Whereas if you had an underground midwife or a traditional midwife who wasn't answering to the state, they may say, look, everything looks fine. If you feel comfortable staying here, I'm gonna let you know, okay, your risk for infection has increased by this much. And, you know, here's what we can do for risk management. And, you know, you can make an informed decision, but ultimately it's up to the mother. And so even when you look at home birth, you can begin to see how the medical paradigm has slowly kind of slithered its way into what we would consider like, you know, the holistic realm of birth. So a lot to consider there, a lot to think about, um, but more so me just getting into the weeds with it. And I I bring that example up because, you know, I've experienced this and I've experienced where it's like, oh, like (laughs) it is nothing really wrong here. And even the midwife will be like, it's nothing really wrong. But, you know, rules, we have to do this, we have to do that, you know. All right, not going to get into that too much more. Let's move on to OBGYNs and nurses (laughs) in parentheses Um, because they kind of go together hand in hand. So for an OBGYN They are going to attend school. It's like 12 years of schooling or something like painful like that. Um, Whereas a CNM or CPM may get their process finished within maybe five to eight years. That's kind of the range that I hear, which is not far from it. (laughs) Like not far from 12. Um, But with a CPM, you well, basically, it's just different. That's not the same as going to medical school. So, of course, OBs are doctors, they have to go through medical school. Um, and a big thing to note about an OBGYN that's different from a midwife is that they are trained surgeons. I repeat, they are trained surgeons and the emphasis of their education and their schooling and their training is to be a surgeon (laughs) of course they get trained on many many other things but they are primarily learning birth from the lens of the medical paradigm they're learning about birth from the lens of what to do when something goes wrong, how to deal with an emergency, how to conduct a C-section, right? So their whole outlook on birth is coming from a point of view of fixing. And in part, like it's partially also about preventing, but preventing in a way that is very, like allopathic medicine western medicine we're gonna give you like this procedure in that medicine like that is the way that we prevent things whereas with midwifery it's more so like we're gonna look at you like a holistic being so like let's talk about diet and exercise and herbals and hydration and going to the chiropractor and all these other things. Whereas with a OBGYN, their main modus operandi, I don't know if that's how you say it. Y'all know what I'm saying though. <laughs> their, their main MO is using allopathic medicine to either fix or attempt to prevent a problem. So example of this would be your midwife, sees that you're going into labor and they say, okay, drink some water, right? You want to stay hydrated. Whereas when you go into the hospital, they're probably going to give you an IV to give you fluids, right? There's a clear distinction there. I think that was a pretty good example. (laughs) So OBs typically only work in hospitals, obviously, because they're surgeons and that's where they have access to all of their... Um, you know, allopathic medicine and IVs and all the stuff that they use is there. They are set up to work in the hospital. There are a handful of OBs that will attend home births, um, but it's literally, literally a handful. (laughs) That's it. So, over 90% of births happen in hospitals. So we know that, you know, over 90% of births are being attended um, probably by a OBGYN. And the interesting thing to note about an OB is that they are not required to attend or observe a healthy amount of natural physiological unserved births. Now you may be feeling like, oh, okay, so whatever, um, but this is this is kind of a problem because if you are working in the field of birth, if that is supposed to be, you know, your general specialty, then you would think that you would want to know what birth looks like, like organically. All on its own unadulterated birth. But instead, what we have is medical students observing birth that only primarily happens in the hospital. And this can be misleading. Because, say, for example, you know, somebody comes in and you know, they're in labor, they're four centimeters. And so they go through triage, they get to their room and they're laboring for a while. But um, I don't know, let's say the doctor comes in and says something that makes the mom uncomfortable. And all of a sudden her contractions begin to slow down. And they notice her contractions slow down. And they say, okay, well, your contractions are slowing down. Let's get you on some Pitocin so we can get them back up. So they give her the Pitocin and the contractions get stronger. Um, But now they're not really bearable because the Pitocin is, you know, turned up quite a bit. And it's, it's difficult for her to get through them. So she requests an epidural. And the combination of the Pitocin and the epidural is kind of having a negative effect on the baby. But she's really close. She's, you know, baby's right there. So there's like, you know, let's just push and see, you know, if we can get the baby out. But they begin to lower the bed so that she's flat on her back. And as she's pushing along with the Pitocin going and the epidural going and now she's flat on her back so the aorta is kind of crushed and baby's not getting a great supply of oxygen through the blood now baby's heart rate is really plummeting and then we go in for a c-section and the doctor saves the day the moral of the story is that When you have medical students observing only hospital birth, they will not typically pick up on the fact that there is something wrong going on here, that something is not making sense. Instead, most of them will be validated in the idea that, oh, we are saving lives. We are literally every day keeping women and babies so safe and so healthy. And I know I sound like a little bit of an asshole right now because there are people who benefit from the medical system. My sister was one of them. My sister and my niece needed medical attention, to point blank, period, right? So it's not like I don't think there's a place for it, but I do believe that we are overusing the medical paradigm and ideology and system and it is backfiring in a way um, that is unperceivable because we have been so conditioned to think it's normal our c-section rate is pretty much sky high for us to be a developed country 30 percent of mothers are coming out of their births traumatized And so many mothers dealing with postpartum depression, which could possibly be linked to their birth experience. So, you know, I definitely say that if you feel in alignment with using an OBGYN in a hospital, definitely do so. And there are some doctors out there who, even though they work in a hospital, they are At least aware of what natural births look like looks like and they're aware of how things like bright lights lots of talking strangers can easily derail a birth and how those things are guaranteed pretty much as a part of hospital culture. Right so there are some doctors who are aware of this and they are working to do better and change hospital culture and policy. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the majority. It's not. So, yeah, I attempted to be unbiased during this episode, but it ain't work. (laughs) Sorry. I have to own my bias. Um, But I want people, I have to speak my truth. And I want people to be able to at least have the option to see the hospital for what it is. And slowly back away if they feel like that's not the right choice for them. Now, the last bullet point I have here, which is really, I think, the most important one when speaking on the hospital is OBGYNs in the hospital staff are experts at emergency care. They truly are. Um, They're the best that we have right now in this day and age. So if baby really needs to come out ASAP, we have a perfect procedure to get them out. If, you know, vitals on mama or baby are not looking good, we have the tools to stabilize people. And I think that it's not about bashing, demeaning, putting down hospitals or OBs, um, being a person who comes from a more natural approach. It's not about that for me. It's simply about everybody staying in their zone of genius. And for a low risk person who doesn't want a lot of interventions and typically, you know, wants to have a healthy and peaceful non-traumatic birth experience, a midwife can operate in her zone of genius for that person. If you need absolutely to get medical care, if you have some sort of anomaly or pre-existing condition, or you are in the middle of an emergency, a OB can operate in their zone of genius by mainly dealing with emergencies. The problem is when we have... Healthy, low risk people, mothers who are going to the hospital with really no prior knowledge of birth or what to expect. And they get thrown into this um, very systematic process where everyone generally gets treated the same. And instead of allowing their birth to unfold physiologically, Uh, They are challenged by the environment, the people, the protocols, the routines, and the birth gets derailed. And like I said, in the previous example, the doctor comes in to to save the day, but they are fixing the very problem many times that the hospital itself has caused. And we get this distorted idea of how important it is to birth in the hospital. So just some things to consider. (laughs) And again, I will say I am biased. Now, (laughs) for the second part of this episode, we are going to go over questions to ask yourself for creating your ultimate birth team. These are questions that, will make it pretty clear and pretty obvious if you are in alignment with your birth environment and the people that you have chosen to support you or if that is out of alignment. And so once we go through these questions, you can take a moment to write down like what you feel, what came up for you. And you can revisit these questions, you know, while you're still working through Okay, am I going to have a OB? Am I going to have a midwife? Am I going to be at home, birth center whatever. So let's get through these questions and for all of my birth workers, uh, please feel free to utilize this with your clients as well. Peace and wholeness in today's exclusive podcast episode, I want to chat with you all about the professionalization of doulas and my thoughts, feelings, emotions behind why doing doula work full time is not something I'm interested in anymore. This will be a really good episode to listen to if you are planning to become a doula or if you are a new doula. And maybe even if you're a seasoned doula, you might resonate with this. So I want to start with, where have I been? (laughs) Um, if If you've been a part of my Patreon community for a while now, you may be wondering, okay, she hasn't posted an exclusive episode in a little bit. Where's she at? And the truth is, I've had a ton of births that I've been attending. I've been... Really, I guess I want to say um, on the edge of burnout, I don't want to say that I am burnt out, but right on that edge where it's about to be like burnt to a crisp. <laughs> so I've been really having to mentally pull back my perspective and look at the way I'm doing things and why I'm doing things the way I'm doing it and recalibrate. And so amongst this time that I've had where I've been doing a lot of work and running around and feeling burnt out, I've came to a conclusion that doula work, being a full-time birth doula, it is not a lane that I would like to stay in. And as I was feeling through this, you know, I had this initial reaction of like, damn, like i worked this hard to get my name out there and build connections and network and be taken seriously. And then the time it takes to just go to births and get comfortable and go to births and get good at being a doula, right? Like, of course, most of us come to this work with some level of um, natural talent, I guess, I could say, but you still have to refine that. And I'm like, why am I having this moment after working so hard for the past three years where I don't think I really want to continue to do doula work in this capacity? And yeah, I came to a really big realization that I'm going to lay out to you right now. So when you first become a doula, most of us want a lot of clients, right? You want to either work as a doula full-time or you just want to have the experience of going to births so that you can be taken seriously, you can get comfortable, you can feel good about putting your name out there. But what I came to realize is that if I want to do doula work full-time, right? because this is my passion, and to be quite honest, it's hard to juggle doula work in another job. Because at any given moment, you could be at your other job and get called to a birth and you either have to call out of work or, you know, whatever the case is, it's hard to just be able to leave one job to go to a birth. So it makes sense, logically, to just be a doula. But in order to just be a doula and make all of your money from birth work, you have to either charge a considerable amount of money, which is a whole nother conversation, like the amount of money (laughs) that doulas charge is a whole nother conversation I could get into. But it's either that you charge in a certain bracket, which inevitably means you're going to be serving a certain type of people who can afford that. And then you also have to be getting consistent clientele And consistent clientele depends on how much you're charging, right? So if you're only charging $500 per birth, you're going to have to rack up a whole bunch of births every month versus if you're charging like $1,000, $2,000. But no matter how you slice it, um, you have to still attend a decent amount of births every single month. Now, when you become a new doula... When you're first out here in these doula streets, you're like, yes, I want to go to a birth. You're ne- like, you're literally just waiting for the phone to ring. You're just like, as many people that I can get to say yes, I want to get them signed up to work with me. And you're so excited and you're just so ready to experience birth. And it's a beautiful time. Like that beginning part of my doula career where, you know, you know. Everything was so, 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 so fresh and new. It was amazing. Um, But it's not, what I found, it's not super sustainable to be a full-time doula and a mother and have any other thing going on in your life. And the last thing, um, you know, how do you actually make it work, right? What does it look like to be a full-time doula? You're charging you know a certain amount of money you're getting a certain amount of clientele and then you're probably always on call you are always on call because just think about it even if i only took 12 clients per year so one client per month that means every single month there's a two to four week window which is basically all month <laughs> or half the month where I can be expecting to get a call to go to a birth. Now, for some people, that's not a big deal. But for me, first, I gotta think about my children and throwing off their schedule and routine. Then I have to think about throwing off my schedule and routine that, like, is barely clinging on to life, right? <laughs> because I'm still trying to set good habits and routines and all of that as an entrepreneur and a mom and a friend and a sister, right? Playing all these roles. And so I kind of lost my train of thought there. Oh, but yes, being on call, it also means that you really can't commit to doing certain things, right? So you really can't plan and say to your friend, like, oh, yeah, let's go do this this weekend. Let's go here. Let's take a trip there. Like, and that seems trivial at first. That seems very trivial at first, but then you start to live your life <laughs> like your own call and you're like, damn, I can't have a glass of wine. Damn, I can't plan to go here. Damn, I can't, right? And again, like for some people, you may live a very simple life. You may not do a whole bunch of, um, you know, plan socializing or whatever. So for some people, that's not a big deal at all, right? So I'm speaking to a certain type of person with this particular point. But all of it combined was what was pointing me to a direction of this doesn't feel like a way I want to continue to live my life for the next few years. But the cherry on top for me, the thing that actually weighed out everything else, it weighed out the like amount of clients I was taking, the fatigue, the burnout, the constantly being on call, what weighed everything out the most, what held the most weight, I should say, is the fact that because I was taking enough clients to pay my bills and to sustain myself and to keep my name out there, it meant that I was been I was beginning to feel like I could not truly and deeply connect to my clients in a way that felt genuine, heartfelt, like deep, meaningful. And the thing is, at the end of the day, you're not going to connect on a super deep level with every single client you have, because some people just aren't very open. You sometimes you'll get a hard nut to crack, basically. But a lot of times, you know, if you spend enough time with the person, you'll get to know them and you'll get to connect with them and y'all will have, you know, some sort of a bond. And I was beginning to see how, okay, I have some clients where that's really easy for me to do, but with others, I need a little bit more time. I need a little bit more space. I need a little bit more calling and texting and meeting up. And it was that that made me realize that I felt like by working as a professional, a quote unquote professional doula, I was in a lot of ways, I don't know what word to use here, industrializing my doula practice. Because I have felt the difference between when I had months where I didn't have that many clients and I could really, really connect with the few clients I had, versus times where I had a whole bunch of clients and I felt like, I didn't have the energy, I didn't have the time, I didn't have the bandwidth to really connect with all of them the way that I wanted to. And when I felt that contrast, I was like, oh wow, this is how a doctor works. Not to this same magnitude, when a doctor does it, it's much greater, but a lot of times when I tell my clients you know, some of the cons of going to a hospital, one of the cons is you don't really connect with your doctor. You go in for your visit, 5-10 minutes, you're in, you're out, that's it. You don't really know them like that. But this is the person that's going to be sitting at this, you know, the seat of the throne to catch your baby. And you barely even know them. And so the same reason why I would tell my client, maybe you should consider not getting a doctor. I was starting to see the reflection within myself of, oh my goodness, maybe I need to pull back with all these clients so that I make sure I'm actually connecting with them. But then it looped back around to, but I got to pay these bills. Doula work is my, basically my main gig, my main job. So how does this all fit together? Some would say, okay, we'll just charge more. But then it gets to a point where it's like, all right, how much are you going to charge? How much are you really going to charge? Goddamn, Before it starts to be a little bit ridiculous. And then also, I have a certain type of people that I want to serve. And this was another, this was kind of like the second epiphany I had, which was I became a doula because I wanted to serve my community. Now, I also have had aspirations of serving people outside of my community, people who are in higher places. And I've wanted to do that, you know, for a more, for a more, larger vision for a bigger goal of being able to change the community change the culture change the societal norms and knowing that people who are kind of at the top of the totem pole who have a lot of money or who have a lot of status and notoriety a lot of times they set the um cultural norms or cultural trends right but that that again that's another conversation but for the most part. I wanted to help my people. I wanted to help black women. I wanted to especially help young black women. Because I was a young black woman when I became a mother and I knew how much I would have been benefited from having a doula, a quality doula. So once I sat with this for a while, and there's so much I just have to say, there's so much power and feeling through your your inner world and allowing the wisdom to kind of bubble up to the surface once you have submerged yourself into your, your own world. And once I had done that, what was bubbling up to the surface was, oh my goodness, the profession, the professionalization of doula work has so easily and so seamlessly happened that many of us haven't even noticed it. And here's the kicker. I made an entire YouTube video about the professionalization of doula work and how it is working against us and how as doulas who attend hospital births and who don't speak up and speak out about the bullshit that happens in hospitals, we are actually acquiescing to the system and therefore further... um, validating what is happening. So I had already had this train of thought. I just don't think it came all the way home to the station (laughs) to realize that, okay, pull back. Because, yeah, I could just be like, all right, well, I'm just going to do all the home births then, which is really what happened. I just started shifting my energy and putting out, okay, I just want to do home births. And I just started getting a bunch of home births and boom, that was great until I got to this point and I was like well I'm still tired and I'm still burnt out and I still feel like I'm not really connecting and I feel like I have to charge a whole bunch of money just to like get enough from one client so that I don't have to rack up with a whole bunch of clients and it's crazy because I remember interviewing for this doula agency in my area and the selling point that she was trying to sell me was oh I can get you to like I want to say she said like 10 births a month or something like seven or eight births a month. I was like, oh, you must think I smoke crack. You think you crack? That's what you think I smoke? (laughs) Because that's too many births per month, sweetheart. But at the time, I was like, what? That would be amazing. Like I could just envision myself getting up. Every week and running to a birth and it's like yo, you know how much time it takes to recuperate from a birth. Don't don't go to a birth that's forty hours long. Don't be at a birth for three days straight. Don't be at an induction. Don't be at a home birth that's stalled out. <laughs> it's you talk about people who really be racking up on these births. And I'm not trying to shame anyone. I'm not saying that it isn't possible. And I'm not saying that it doesn't work for some people in a really great way. This is just my story. And this is my journeying through the wisdom of my own story. For me. And whomever else resonates. But all that to say, I finally came to the realization that doulas were never doulas were never people who had the job of being a doula they had the role of being a doula and those are two totally different things it's one thing for me to be the woman in the community right and just this is how I imagine it imagine if you lived in an apartment complex and in that apartment complex every so often every few months you had somebody who was having a baby And so you had a lot of space in between the births that you would attend. You would have the opportunity to really connect with these people, connect with their family, connect with their partners, their children. Go, you know, get dinner with them, sit down with them, talk to them, walk through their different fears and their traumas, really get to know them and make a friend. Make a true lifelong friend. And imagine that was your flow every few months. And maybe you had months that were really quiet and months that were really busy, but it was nothing too taxing. And you begin to grow a name within the apartment building that, oh, this is, you know, the girl who, she's really knowledgeable about birth and she's a great support, right? And so the community supports you back in whatever ways. But there's not a pressure where you have to show up Every single week, week after week after week after week to do work that is really energetically going to zap you. And of course, again, this is me. This is how I practice through the work. Everybody doesn't feel the same. Everybody doesn't feel like they have to get super deep and super connected and talk about their fears and their traumas. Everybody don't work like that. But that's how I do birth work because that's what I consider to be a birth keeper. But there's a difference between at this point, there's a difference between being a birth keeper and a doula. In my book, they're not the same. So it's the difference between that and literally signing up to work for an agency or creating an agency yourself where every single day you're showing up for somebody to the point where you are zapped. And for me, I just realized that, you know, we, we look at the word doula and we see a job. I look at the word doula and I see a role. I see somebody in the community who is wise, who is experienced, who has a certain level, who, a certain level of understanding about birth and a certain skill set. And they can utilize that when called upon. But they do not operate in that role as a job, and I hope that I'm explaining this in a way that makes sense, because this was a really big, big shift for me to finally because I started feeling guilty, like I don't wasted three years of my life, I didn't put my family through this you know way of living for three years, all for me to back down now. And I was like, no. I went through these three years, and I learned so much, and I gathered so much information, and now it's time for me to take my next step. And to be honest with you, I really used to be irritated by how many doulas I was seeing come out of the woodworks. I was like, dang, I got all this competition, right? <laughs> then you got all these doulas, and it's oversaturated, even though it's really not. But now I see it as no we imagine if there was one doula in every neighborhood. And imagine if she did have a another job, another occupation, another way of making money. But when called upon, she was ready. Her energy was ready. Her mind was ready. Her spirit was ready and strong. And again, I know there are some people who are like birthaholics. They want to be at a birth every single week or at least a few times a month. I totally get that. I do. But is it sustainable? I can't answer that question for you. But for me, i much rather be in the role of a birthkeeper than in the job of a doula. So with that said... You know, I also think this is part of the reason why there aren't as many midwives is because we look at midwifery and we look at it as a job, right? You go to school, you take a test, you get licensed, you work at a birth center or you work at a midwifery practice. But imagine if there was a midwife in every single neighborhood, you know, and there would be so much more time and space for true connection, true community. And I feel like it always, a lot of times, comes back to this idea of community. And unlearning these ways of capitalism and like making everything a business. i seen something on social media and it was like, you don't have to make money off of all of your hobbies or all of your talents. And that's so powerful because, I mean, before like capitalism and, and, you know, everything being industrialized, when we were living off the land, when we were living communally, when we were living tribally, yes, you had ways of making money and you had ways of um, creating stability as far as food security and a place to live. But then you also had a way to use your gifts and talent, then yeah, maybe you did make money off of it, but you were mainly doing it to serve the community, to help everyone else, like a big ecosystem where we all use our talents and gifts to help everyone else. And so that's how I'm starting to see doula work, um, or birth keeping, I should say. And it's not to say that I'm not going to be doing births anymore. It's not to say that I'm not going to be going to a whole bunch of births sometimes. But it is to say that I think there's a different energy that you can approach your people that you work with. When you allow yourself to be in a role rather than being in a job um, of a doula. And I hope all of that made sense. (laughs) And I hope... It wasn't offensive to anyone or confusing, but I think it's a good heads up because a lot of times people who ask me, how do I become a doula? I also want to ask them, number one, are you sure you're ready to be a doula? And number two, what else are you really good at? What else can you make a living off of so that doula work doesn't have to be your main thing and and you don't have to kind of commodify your your energy for birth work and so at this point I am exploring the ways in which because there are so many ways to help families and moms and whomever on their journey through pregnancy and birth there's so many different facets of that journey that can be supported outside of being a doula. I mean, being a therapist, being a chiropractor, being uh, doing acupuncture, prenatal yoga, prenatal massage. Uh there's just so much nutrition. There's so many ways in which we can support mothers and families. So, yeah. I am back. Let me know how this resonated with you all and definitely let me know what you would like to hear about next. I actually do have a schedule. So coming up, we're going to be talking about birth basics. Um, Next on my list is why we think the hospital is safe and a brief history on birth in the United States and after that we're going to be getting into childbirth education classes which one is the best for you. So definitely stay tuned. I appreciate you all. I appreciate you all so much. I don't think you really understand the folks that stick around through the inconsistencies. It really means a lot to me and you all encourage me to be more and more consistent to level up more and more. And always do it in a way that's balanced and authentic for me. So I will chat with y'all in the next episode. Peace.